And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. League show. Fergie time comes to Peterborough. West London is the best London in the championship. Darren does Donny. Jacket ball fuels the Orient Express and Bristol own Novas. This is the Totally Football League show in association with Paddy Power. Welcome along then to our bi-weekly rundown on all things EFL. I'm Matt Davis-Adams. Sam Parkin is here. Hello Matt, how you doing? Very well, thank you. Adrian Clark's with us too. Good afternoon, Matthew. And hello, Faker Others. Hello there, Matt Davis-Adams. Nice uh, nice mixture of greetings there, guys. Let's, let's keep that, that kind of energy up throughout the pod. Uh, and let's get straight <laughs> to the championship. You're listening to the Totally Football League show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Headlines, we're only two weeks in and nobody has a 100% record. Classic championship. Five-star Fulham picked up their first win at the Timid Terriers. Birmingham played Saturday's game against Stoke in front of two empty stands after further necessary repair work was discovered. They won't be ready for Wednesday's game either. And Fergie time returned at Posh, but this time Wazza wasn't a beneficiary. Oh, hello, what's happened here? Alexander Mitrovic has put Fulham in front. That was bizarre. We've got to start in Yorkshire, though, where Fulham dismantled Huddersfield Town to prove their credentials as one of the teams to beat in this division. Uh, Faye, we might as well start with the first goal here. Uh, Unlucky, unfortunate, clever thinking by Mitrovic. Shouldn't have stood. Uh, Where where do you want to start with this one? All of the above, I would say. (laughs) (laughs) I think there was a huge slice of fortune from it. I don't know how on earth the officials didn't spot that the ball was well out of play. But, you know, that's what he's there. He's a poacher, isn't he? He saw it straight away uh, and took all advantage. And, uh, yeah, unfortunate that was uh, from a Huddersfield point of view. But equally, if you put yourself in that situation, make a silly mistake like that, you deserve what you get. Wouldn't have made any difference. All the way around, you get what you deserve. (laughs) You deserve what you get. I knew what I meant. (laughs) Uh, Wouldn't have made any difference, Clarkie, would it? Fulham would have won by a handsome margin anyway, based on what we saw. Yeah, there was a golfing class, wasn't there? And it's just frightening. Just look at the Fulham bench for this game. Anguisa, Cabano, Brian Mawson, Cavallero. It's... You know, all of those players would would walk into any championship team. So, yeah, they're they're, they're a cut above, I think, in terms of their their quality. And Marco Silva's he got it right in this game. It was a really really bold starting eleven, and his faith in young Carvalho at number ten, his desire to to play attacking football, it, it, it shone through. And I thought it was a really really impressive performance. And even when they went down to ten men. He made the right call there. He just made a, a, a double substitution just to sort of rebalance things nice and sensibly. And and they went on and scored another couple of goals. So, yeah, Marco Silva's off to a flyer. Off to a flyer, Sam. He's also got a, a fairly 
gentle start in as much as they don't play any of last season's top six until their 10th game of this campaign. That that will help him, I guess, as he gets used to the championship, even if his players know it pretty well. Definitely, because, you know, I, I still feel it's not the worst time in the world to be playing these relegated sides just as they get to grips with the second tier. That said, Huddersfield had some really important players missing at, at the weekend and not convinced by their their transfer business at all. So I wasn't surprised at the outcome of this match. The the ease which they uh, navigated uh, the the fixture did surprise me to a degree, especially when it went down to ten men. But I think that's just the amount of forward thinking, talented, offensive players they've got. I thought Bobby Reed was was great. Some brilliant little assists and uh, pieces of individual skill uh, to complement what obviously Mitrovic brings to the party. Carvalho, as, as Clarkie says, came on and had a, a real effect as well. So there'll be more stringent tests in the week ahead because I think Huddersfield going into this game a little bit light, missing O'Brien and, and Toffolo in particular. Yeah, Bobby Dickord overread hat-trick of assists. Presumably he gets something, if not the match ball for that, maybe his GPS vest. Uh, shout out to Harry Wilson for the uh, the David Beckham 98 style throwback red card. Uh, in terms of Huddersfield, Faye, six league games without a win for them over last season in this. Without wishing to be mean, uh, are we talking when they replace Corberon rather than if now? Yeah, I would say so. It's not looking good, is it? You know, he he turned it on the team at the end in his post-match interview and basically said they weren't competitive enough and, and they looked nervous. Well, that kind of starts with him, doesn't it? So, you know, I don't think that that he can deflect it onto the team for that much that much longer. It's just how long they decide to to wait because of course you know, we've got a couple of weeks left of the of the transfer window as well. As you said, they they, they probably need some replacements. Do you want to keep Corberon in charge for that? They maybe should have done something in the summer, perhaps, uh, with him. Yeah, I, I just think he's had over a year. And are there any real visible signs of, of progress? I don't think there are, unfortunately. Sam is right to point out the absentees. There, there are a lot of good players that, that were missing here. But it's the style that's the problem. He He's trying to play the kind of football that I'm not sure the Huddersfield players are good enough to consistently deliver. That You know, the Cowleys were playing the type of football you'd associate with Huddersfield Town, weren't they? And they were doing okay. This group of players just look a little bit confused, if, if I'm being honest. And if that, that nervousness that he talked about could be down to the fact that they don't feel comfortable playing in the way that he's asking them to because it's too risky. And, um, you know, 19 points from the last 26 games tells its own story. And if they don't improve on that markedly, they're going down. Uh, Well, Hull were one of the big winners in the championship on opening day, but their first home game back in the second tier didn't go to plan. They were beaten 3-0 by QPR. Rob Dickey, MVP 3-3 three and three for the CB, plus a goal line clearance. Sam, you, you lavished him with praise on Saturday night. Would you like to do so again here? Uh, nah, it's, a, it's getting a bit boring, isn't it? Broken record. <laughs> Wanted to stay where he is, but no, nah, the, the goal line clearance, amazing. Um, great movement for the goal. I uh, thought he was really good. And I think for, throughout QPR's spine, really, there's such important players with Dieng, then Dickey, Johansson, it, I think it's proven to be a, a master stroke because I thought he'd gone a little bit at Fulham latterly. So he seems to be revitalised. And then you've got 
a bit of a conundrum developing up top, I would say. Charlie Austin not available. Dykes obviously led the line, scored the goal. But I think Elias Chair and, and Willock are such important players for QPR this season because of I don't think Mark Warburton can go with the two strikers against the better sides. And I think those two players, in particular Willock, playing a bit higher uh, around Dykes at the weekend and Chair, they're the difference makers. They really are. Because I think without those two, or without the pair of them, the QPR could become a little bit one-dimensional. So I think if they can provide the creative spark consistently, stay fit, stay at the club in Elias Chair's um, case, QPR are going to go close because that was very complete to my eye. I watched a lot of it. I thought they were in complete control. That Yes, both keepers made big saves at big times and Dickey made the goal line clearance, but I thought QPR looked a different class, similar to that Leighton Orient game for half an hour in midweek. So it was a, it was a impressive three points. Adrian, how satisfying is it for a team when a training ground routine comes off like QPRs did for that second goal? Yeah, very, for, for the coaching staff, because you, you know that they've worked on it. Um, and, and there were a couple of, of clever free kicks, weren't there, in the game? So, uh, or, or clever set pieces. So yeah, look, big triumph for whoever's in charge of that. I don't know if Mark Warburton is, is hands-on or whether he's got someone else looking after that side of things. But, but yeah, the coaches will have... Um, Patted themselves on the back, no doubt about that. And yeah, from Hull's point of view, Grant McCann won't be happy with the lapses in concentration. You know, he will accuse his players, no doubt, of, of of not being sharp and wise to it. But sometimes you just got to take your hat off to to the opposition and just say oh, that was really inventive. It caught us on the hop. Ex- excellent execution. But I'm with Sam. I think I think that was a really rounded performance. Eight shots on target away from home. Could have scored more goals. Um, yeah, terrific, terrific performance against a decent Hull team. You know, Hull weren't terrible in this game, but 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 they just weren't at the same level as, as the Hoops. Because they weren't terrible, Faye, does that mean that this is a fairly easy one for, for Grant McCann to kind of write off? As Clarkey alluded there, the, the score didn't really reflect how the game went. And they got Derby at home next, which is a good chance to get back on the horse because then they've got Fulham, Bournemouth and Swansea. Yeah, tough fixtures coming up for them, but they should be okay against Derby uh, from what we've seen from Derby so far this season. And actually, Grant McCann said that he's seen enough in the past two games that shows that they'll be competitive this season. And I think I think he's right with, with that. You know, di- disappointing errors, uh, particularly losing you know, two goals to set plays. He'll be annoyed with that. But again, it's early days of the season, isn't it? These are the kind of things that you then, you know, go ahead and rectify. If that keeps being a problem week in, week out, then you you know you've got an issue. But it happens on the second game of the season. You're like, right, we need to work on this on the training ground. So yeah, I think I think Hull will be fine. Um, and you know, they have the opportunity, as you say, uh, to bounce back midweek against Derby. We'll talk about them shortly. First, though, remember when we wondered if Valor and Ismail's style of football might not be to West Brom supporters' taste? Uh, So far, the Baggers have scored five goals in two games. This after they came out on the right side of a 3-2 against Luton. Uh, Sam, last week I asked you about Callum Robinson and whether he was in that vortex of not quite good enough for the Prem, too good for the champ. Maybe should have said the same about Carlin Grant. Yeah, that was a that's a massive goal for him. First since October, I believe, 20 games, which has passed me by somewhat but yeah brilliant to have your forward players scoring and um they were in complete control weren't they I think 18 shots um to three at three nil when the third one went in and then Luton really rallied after that and I think 
Ian Holloway got it really on Saturday night to a tee that West Brom haven't quite got the quality in their replacements. If you think back to last year, how Valerie Nishma was running his, his ship at Barnsley, he had like-for-like like changes. I think that's why we're going to see West Brom be active in the market, definitely for a striker. I've seen a lot of people suggesting that Zahor just does not fit into this system in terms of his mobility, um, stopping the opposition play, and that's why Luton were able to get back into it. But the signings he has made, Clark was immense, and and Moet has just fitted in superbly well to that that jigsaw. So some some very good performances, and I think this passed me by a little bit as well. Apologies, Faye, but Luton's um, defensive issues probably because they're lacking in numbers. You know, to they're missing three senior centre halves. Naismith and Osho been playing there and obviously tough ass for them, especially when you're going against one of the promotion favourites. Yeah, definitely. I, and, and I mean, that was such an unfortunate goal for, for Cal Naismith. Would have been a great goal if it was uh, from our throwing, <laughs> but it wasn't. So <laughs> slightly embarrassing. And the thing is, when you're up against a side like West Brom, that's the last thing you want to happen within the first five minutes of a game because it immediately puts you on the back foot. You can't establish yourself in in, in the match at all. So disappointing. But but yeah, I mean, we've got so much up front this season. I'm so excited. We've definitely got goals goals in this team. And then you saw that with, with the comeback that we made. Uh, but, but you're right, defensively, um, we need some players back. Uh, what's the latest on Jordan Clark, please, Faye? Yes, we had a scan on Saturday night at the hospital. Obviously, a good 15 minutes injury time added on to that game after uh, he'd had that nasty collision with Sam Johnston. But the good news is he's just got a sprained collarbone, some heavy bruising as well, but obviously has concussion, which you would have expected. So he'll be out for a week at least for that. But I mean, it was he was really lucky, actually, when you think about it with what happened to him. But I think there's been a few questions. You know, there's been no blame whatsoever attributed uh, to Sam Johnston. But when a keeper comes out and jumps with their knees high, legs high like that, it, it increases the chances of a nasty accident happening and I just wonder whether the the officials perhaps need to need to look at that in some way because you know you, you can't blame somebody for jumping up to, to to grab the ball and automatically you jump up with your legs that's what you do but it is dangerous I don't know how how you would get over that but you know we, we've seen injuries in the past and luckily this wasn't any worse than that. Yeah, we'll see if there's any change on that in the uh, weeks and months to come, I guess. Uh, on West Brom, Adrian, we spoke about the, the change in, in style of play potentially from the manager. Much easier to, to get that over as a positive to players and supporters if you win games. 100%. And, and I think that it must be quite comforting for West Bromwich Albion fans to, to watch this kind of football because it's a throwback. When I think of West Brom, if you just just to chuck out a team name and to name a style of football. When I hear the, the, you know, the name West Brom, I think corners and free kicks. <laughs> I just think it's, it's just what they're famous for. And they are incredibly dangerous, aren't they? We saw that against Bournemouth on the opening night. And in this one, they, they, they blew Luton Town away, really, with, with, with long throws. Great, you know, brilliant deliveries from, from Alex Mowat. And they've, and they've got excellent players attacking the ball so West Brom are going to be a nightmare to play against and even though it's not the prettiest of football it's not glamorous I think West Brom fans will will get behind the boys because it 
everything that he's looking to do is still attack-minded and it's, he's looking to be assertive. Now, Peterborough United supporters were back at home to see their team take on Derby County in Saturday's early kickoff. Anyone arriving late wouldn't have missed much given the action only really got started in the 77th minute when Jack Stretton struck. But then the team that won more points from losing positions than any other in League One last season scored twice in injury time to keep the points at London Road. It's down- Uh, Sam, this is a, a massive win for, for Peterborough, not only because it came against a team who they're likely to be down scrapping at the bottom with, but also because they've been walloped by Plymouth in the Cup in midweek and they've been beaten on opening day. It, it just gives them the lift that they need, he said, obviously. Yeah, no, it definitely does. But I think, you know, Darren Ferguson's comments going into the season uh, was that he was going to try and outscore teams and um, I think he said he'd rather lose 3-2 you know than than lose you know 1-0 or whatever which is probably quite an obvious thing to say but you know what I mean so he's going to go after opposition and yeah recovered a lot of points last season and and happened again and I thought change of system um, which they they flitted between last season back to the kind of 3-4-1-2 two wing backs Ward obviously assisting like he did throughout the, the League One campaign and Butler on the other side really good and I think the biggest ingredient maybe was Ollie Norburn, 350 grand from Shrewsbury, won a lot of balls in the middle of the pitch and, and made something of a difference. So yeah, that will happen again, especially at, um, at London Road, but great for the confidence levels. So 350 grand. I, 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 you just don't see those kind of level transfer fees disclosed anymore, do you? <laughs> like the player went for 50 grand, 75 grand, whatever. It's just always undisclosed or it's 25 million. You know what I mean? It's, it's, yeah. That's, you look that's, at um, Clarkie, you look at him and like um, Joel Randall from, from yeah. Exeter and just say like Peterborough just get it right, don't they somehow? Yeah. They do. Yeah. I, re- I thought Randall played okay in the game. It, it was not a good spectacle, was it? It was not a good spectacle up until the end. Which which was just amazing, but in 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 the scrappy part of the game, I thought that Randall did okay, um, and yeah, they've, they've made some good pickups, gambles, I suppose, of sorts, because the players haven't played at the championship before, but um, but talented players, and and yeah, one or two of them will will probably kick on, and they'll make a load of money. So um, so yeah, it was really good. It was the Burrows for Beavers change, wasn't it? On eighty five minutes, changed the shape again. Key moment. And um, yeah, brilliant sort of atmosphere, wasn't there at the end there? Loved it. It was it's what, it's, it's what football's all about with fans there driving you on. Um, so yeah, great win for them. Burroughs for Beavers sounds like a charity initiative <laughs> of, uh, of some kind. Uh, speaking of charity cases, Faye, uh, Derby and Wayne Rooney. You mentioned this with, with Carlos Corberon kind of calling out his players. Rooney talking about individual errors. Mm. Strikes me as the kind of thing a manager does where, when he's under pressure. Probably doesn't go down that great in the dressing room. No, not really. Talked about lapses in concentration. Um, he thought they were the better team and deserved the win. I, I would think that Darren Ferguson would disagree with that. Um, they perhaps were for large parts of the game, but you've got to switch on for the whole time. Um, and he is right. You know, you can't have individual mistakes like that, particularly when there's 11 minutes of of injury time added. But he's got real problems because Colin Kazim Richards could be out for a while, stretch it off in the end. They're under that transfer embargo. It's going to be a tough season for Derby, I think. 
yeah, some some woeful mistakes, especially you know Nathan Burns' right. individual one for the for the second, but the first one there was you know a number of them that you could point the finger at, but. The game management you, you have to look at as well. So that's the, yep. the the manager and the staff. They've led in six of the last seven games, and four of those six, they've gone on to lose. So yes, you can speak about the players making errors, but at one nil, got to try and see that game out better. Yeah, I, I thought he he looked like he felt a bit sorry for himself at the final whistle. Um, yeah, he didn't duck the questions. He was out there doing the interviews as he, as he needs to do. But he could not have looked more miserable or frustrated. And yeah, I, do, I, just, I just think sometimes if the players, hopefully behind the scenes, he's not being as negative in his body language because it, that can quickly get a dressing room. A dressing room is already feeling frustrated, feeling worse. He's got to find a way, hasn't he, of, of almost shielding the players from that and, and lifting them because yeah, it's not an easy situation for the players to be thrown together this season either. Uh, one other news line from that game, the FA have launched an investigation into the alleged racist and homophobic remarks made by some Derby fans during their defeat to Peterborough. Uh, more on that over on The Athletic. Now then, plenty of midweek action for us to sink our teeth into Akawise with the help of Paddy Power and producer Abby. Uh, I'll go first. This will shock you. I'm picking Forrest to beat Blackburn at the city grounds on Wednesday night. Um, because optimism, and I'm going, and you know, law of averages says we'll win a game eventually. Uh, Abby, did Paddy Power agree with me? They do actually. Your optimism is well placed. Uh, Forest are the favourites at seven to five, with Blackburn coming in at seventeen to ten, and the draw is at eleven to five. Good. Uh, the last time I went to the City Ground was Forest Blackburn 2019, and Blackburn won then. So let's hope it doesn't happen again. Uh, thanks, Abby. League One next. At Paddy Power, we're looking forward to the return of the Premier League this weekend. Man United kick off their campaign against old rivals Leeds. The operative word there being old, because the last time Leeds finished ahead of Man United was before most of the players in the current teams were born. Though I remember it well. God, I'm getting too old for this job. And while you can't build a time machine, you can build your own bet. With a completely free £5 bet builder on Man United v Leeds this Saturday. Paddy Power! Pre-match bet builder bets only. Minimum two legs plus. Online exclusive must have previously deposited to avail. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Because you're a listener of the Totally Football League show, you can get a third off an Athletic subscription right now. All you need to do is head to theathletic.com forward slash league show and you could read pieces from the likes of Ryan Conway, Nancy Frostick, Steve Maidley and many, many more writers. That's theathletic.com forward slash league show. League One headlines. MK Dons have gone for Liam Manning as the replacement for Russell Martin. Don't worry, listener, if you don't know much about him, Sam does. Uh, Darren Moore wins Darren Moore derby, does Donny Down. And Steve Evans' discipline update. Steve Evans has been charged by the FA with verbally abusing a match official. We'll have another one of those for you next week. Ah, the soothing sounds of De La Sol there. Were they singing about Bolton and their return to League One, the third tier no less? 
No, the song was released in 1989. Uh, still, back here in 2021, the Trotters have proved their entertainment value by drawing their first two games 3-3. This weekend's took place on a special day at Plough Lane where supporters saw the Wombles of Wimbledon in their new habitat for the first time. Uh, was this a fair result, Adrian? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think Bolton looked great going forward. AFC Wimbledon, the spirit of their comeback in front of those fans at Plough Lane seemed to warrant warrant the draw. You know, it was. Yeah, it was, I think both both teams had lots of positives. I think to to come out of the game. We're, yeah, there's a lot to like about about Wimbledon. I think I did tip them to go down, um, but but there's a, there's a spirit there, and I really do like the way that the manager is is um, bringing younger players into the team. He's trying to play a, a more attack attack minded philosophy, a, a more progressive style. And and yeah, the, the, the two of the younger guys came off the bench, didn't they? Uh, Dapo Mabude on loan from Watford, Aaron Presley on loan from, from Brentford, two young strikers. And they came on and, and made the difference. So well well done to them. And I, I did read actually, I think it was a piece in the Times, that Robinson, the manager, had been to a number of London clubs at, in the summer just to give presentations to the clubs on AFC Wimbledon. This is us. This is our training program. This is how we develop players or want to develop young players. We're a great place for you to send your kids. And lo and behold, he's got players from Chelsea. I think two from Chelsea, one from Spurs, and the, and the two guys from Watford and Bourne, uh, Watford and Brentford. So, yeah, they're sort of thinking things through at the moment. Uh, AFC Wimbledon making the best of what they've got and. Um, yeah, it was it was great to see the the, the fans back at Plough Lane, and it was probably fitting that that they sort of leveled things up in in such dramatic style. Uh, yeah. Faye, I was just going to ask if you saw the the letter that they sent to supporters. Uh, everybody got one of these. It says, "Dear supporter, very difficult to put into words what your constant loyalty, generosity, and commitment means to all the players and staff. As we all return home, it's vitally important that I emphasise we'll be doing everything we can to make you proud to be a supporter of our wonderful club." Signed. AFC Wimbledon players and staff. What I particularly liked about that is that the players have all signed it and most of them have put their squad number next to it so that you can tell who the signature is from and some of them have put their initials next to it too, which is um, which is very sweet. Did you write them off as well, Faye? Because I think we pretty much all did at the start of the season. No, I didn't. They're, they're my local team. Uh, my husband was a Wimbledon fan, you know, pre what happened and fell out of love with football because of because of what happened with them. And so he was delighted to to know they were going back to Plough Lane. There's another three for you as well. So the music choice was very apt because three decades, <laughs> you know, since um, the fans have been back in, in Merton in full. Obviously, I know there was a, a game in the middle of the pandemic, but it was half empty. It was only about 2,000 fans there. So this was huge. And actually, when I left to go to work on, on Saturday, it was so lovely walking through Wimbledon Town Centre and just seeing... Wimbledon shirts everywhere back in Wimbledon town centre. It was fantastic. Um, and they they deserve this. And actually, when you think about what Mark Robinson has done since he took over back in January, exactly as Adrian says, you know, he's a former academy coach himself. He knows the importance of that. And he knows, you know, with their model and, and what they're trying to do, that that's going to be their best chance of of survival. And, you know, he, he won something like, um, when he took over, they were you know, trying to stay in League One. 
they'd lost so many games leading up to uh, the end of the season as well and it was really poor and he turned that around. He's doing things the right way and it, it's interesting, I, I don't want to compare this in the slightest, but I was reading an article on Daniel Levy the other day um, talking about the importance of, of had, having academies and, and building pitches in a city in London. And I know Wimbledon is a little bit further out, but it's still got relatively close in London academies to be able to get kids, you know, from a young age and talent spotting them and, and bringing them through the through the ranks. And I think that's going to bode really well for, for, for Wimbledon going forward as well. So I like what they're doing. I like the cut of their jib, if you like, is <laughs> the word. Um, yeah, I think they'll be OK. Uh, Sam, here's some lazy journalism for you. Bolton, my conclusion, they look good going forward, but they could do with some work on defence. Yeah, good summary, mate. Good summary. Um, yeah, I don't know what to really make of them. I thought, I thought it was probably the, the, the two points were probably lost in the midfield. Um, I thought Hartigan at, at Wimbledon, he had the most touches on the, on the pitch, 18 more than any Bolton player and completely dominated the midfield in, in all departments, ball winning and, and what he did with it. So I thought he was important for, for Wimbledon's recovery, but more so because Bolton's balance in midfield looks a bit off to me. Last year, if you remember back, they had Lee with, with Williams. That was more or less a given. Now they've got Sheehan, brilliant player, and Sarsovic, brilliant player in League Two. But... Sheehan was deeper at, at Newport, but very much in a possession-based team. And he had the freedom to go and get on it. He's playing as a number eight in this side. So I just think maybe they're missing a little bit more defensive nous in the middle of the pitch. And that would have been something they could have done in that second half just to stem the, the tide of Wimbledon attacks, which were relentless. I was watching that comeback. And um, yeah, when those two young players were introduced, it, it felt like a matter of time. Yeah, and, and I also think that the Bolton defenders really flagged towards the end of the game. And from, from what I gather, a, a few of the defenders are really short on game time in pre-season. Santos and, and Baptiste were effectively rushed back in. And you, you would understand, wouldn't you? You concede three on the opening weekend. Let's get our partnership back together. But they didn't look quite ready. But, but they've got miles in their legs now, so they'll be, they'll be better for it. Uh, always requires some diplomacy when segueing from Wimbledon to MK Dons, so here we go. Uh, the less popular Dons have got a new gaffer in Liam Manning. He had a tough first assignment on paper, and as it turned out on grass, uh, Manning's men went down 2-1 at home to Sunderland. Uh, Sam, you and the main Manning in Milton were together at Ipswich. Tell us what he's all about. Memory's a bit hazy, mate, to be honest. Um, <laughs> as he saw the name flash up and yeah, recognise that name. Were you nice to him or did you just sort of look down on him and say, just yeah, Do you know what, Adrian? I think it was a bit of creative license on Saturday. I think he'd probably gone away from Ipswich and was back starting his coaching journey by the time I met him. But he would have been, he would have been 18, I guess, 17, 18. So yeah, he's been at it, what, 17 years coaching, give or take 15 years. It's been a very, yeah, like I said, diverse coaching career to date but Ipswich is, was very much a club at that time that got their academy players who hadn't made the grade or had their careers curtailed by injury straight into coaching very much like one of my other clubs um, former clubs Chelsea so they did I think a lot of that was to do with Brian Clug, who's been um, a regular feature throughout their um, 
their coaching system for a number of years, had the, the caretaker role with the first team a few times. So Liam Manning's obviously been given the opportunity by Ipswich and, and gone and had a, a really impressive coaching career to date in New York, in Belgium, West Ham's academy as well. We thought they'd go for a, a young, probably inexperienced first team coach and in this country and that's what they've done and good luck to him. I didn't see too much change, same shape at the weekend. Didn't seem to overplay quite a lot of diagonals in the first half and didn't take too many risks. So maybe that's uh, something that he's spoken to the players about in his in his first few days. But no, really excited to see how they do. And that, and that wasn't a bad performance at all. They actually outshot Sunderland better with the XG. It was very much in the balance, that victory for Sunderland. It's interesting, isn't it, to see a couple of years ago, young German youth coaches, you know, if you, if you had the, the Dortmund B job, you were nailed on to get a, a lower end championship team. Now it seems that it's kind of swung more towards young English coaches that we're not familiar with, which I guess can only be a good thing for English football. Yeah, I would say so. Definitely. I think when when you think about it, it's it's been coming really because the media had kind of cottoned on to that a while ago and were saying, why aren't we developing coaches? The FA have, have tried really hard to to make sure we're developing young coaches going up through the ranks as well. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty crucial. And we've had some fantastic examples of that, you know, managers that have gone up through the leagues and are in the Premier League. So, yeah, I, I, I like that. I'd be interested to see what Liam Manning can do. I don't really know that much about him. So that was that was some nice stuff from Sam on, on that because I, I don't really know much about him. But when you think what Russell Martin has, has ended up doing himself, you know, Perhaps, you know, there's there's some argument it could be a little bit early for him to be going to, to to Swansea. Perhaps needed another year under under his belt at League One level. But we'll see what he can do in, in the Championship. The point is, he's being given the opportunity nowadays, and that's perhaps what wasn't there before. Sunderland wise, Adrian, this is the kind of game that previously they would have drawn one all. So that shows some progression. <laughs> it does actually, doesn't it? The goalkeeper Fisher did sort of drop one on a plate for, for Ross Stewart. So, so that was handy. But but yeah, the Emberton goal I, I really enjoyed, stayed on side and yeah, it was just terrible defending. But it was a nice little ball from, from Neil to Emberton and, and a tidy finish. I, I'm liking Sunderland. I'm liking what they're doing at the moment. They're a bit younger, obviously less experienced, but there's a bit about them. They, they seem to have that sort of attacking intent. Um, quite direct when they we're, we're not direct but but they're quick to form those attacks and there's a bit more athleticism in the side and and that's a definite definite plus you've got people running around it's very simplistic but you've got people making runs into the box more often and 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 that can make a terrific difference as do by the way the fans I think the the traveling support from from Sunderland is, is superb and and by all accounts they were really loud at Stadium MK. So you look, they're, they're loving life at the moment. Three three wins out of three. No, <laughs> I don't know how long it is since since they got three wins out of three at the start of the season, but I suspect it's a while. Uh, lastly in League One, join us on a metaphorical trip to Fratton Park where Portsmouth made it two wins from two, scoring two against the not-so-solid crew. Uh, lots of talk about exits, Sam, from Fratton Park over the summer, but they still got John Marquis and new boy Tunnicliffe set up both the goals. Still plenty of quality in that squad. Yeah, I, I'll see Adrian Sunderland and I'll raise him um, Portsmouth. <laughs> I, I was thinking this a few weeks ago and I don't think I was brave enough just because of Danny Cowley's um, 
playing down expectation, I suppose, with COVID issues, um, not enough members of the squad, etc., etc. I tell you what, you look at that bench at the weekend, Morel, Harrison, Ogilvy, they've just signed. Uh, there were a lot of takers for him. He's starting to take shape. And new goalkeeper in there, Gavin Bazuno on loan from Manchester City. Supposedly had a, a good debut. He didn't have a lot to do, but very comfortable with the ball at his feet, which says to me, you know, that they're going to play with a high line. He's going to be a bit of a sweeper keeper to um, encourage the front players to go and press and be aggressive like they were on Saturday. They have more stringent tests, of course, but this was an all-round very good performance. And, and yeah, Tunnicliffe right to highlight him because he looked lean, he looked sharp, not things I've maybe associated with him in the past. I thought he was quite a, he's a good footballer, but, you know, quite safe in his position, holds his position, keeps the ball nicely. Haven't seen him driving forward like that for a number of years. So uh, his performance, very important, pure class. And, and Marquis's first home goal since January the 19th. Everything points towards the Cowleys getting it right this year. I really believe that they'll be in that shake-up. Have they got enough to get into the automatic positions? I really liked Tunnicliffe at Luton. We had him for a couple of years uh, before he's gone to, to Pompey and, and I really enjoyed his his style of play when, when, when he featured for us and I think he'll do a really good job for Danny Cowley. And actually, there's been a few ex-Luton players involved this weekend, probably negatively in terms of George Monker getting sent off for Hull, but Matty Pearson as well, one one goal um, disallowed and another scored. So yeah, I mean we, we've um, we've given we've given teams some good players. <laughs> you're you're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome, Pompey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> great way to to crowbar in some praise for Luton there. <laughs> really, always, always. Really impressive. On, on just a final thing on 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 Tunnicliffe. I don't remember Portsmouth having central midfielders breaking forward with regularity for quite a while it, under Kenny Jacket and maybe even even before that. They always seem to have a couple of holding players and, and, and leave it to the front guys. So slight change of tact. I, I think the one position they can probably upgrade in is at number 10. They tried out Rico Hackett-Fairchild at the weekend and I think he did really well. They, they also tried out the, the Norwich Loney had me so but two inexperienced players I, I wonder before the end of the uh, transfer window whether they'll go in for for a creative player I mean, the, the, the loan market you know is is sort of scree- winking at them I would imagine good young player that's creative plays at number 10 for one of the Premier League Academy teams maybe they'll be in for, for, for someone like that As for crew ever heard a manager use the word prescriptive prepare to be dazzled I was prescriptive to them like, this is what you need to do out of shape and this is what you need to do. And I didn't tell them often enough. We had to actually pass the ball to each other when we had it. When we, had it. When we did, we was fine. We didn't do it off anywhere near enough. Right, speaking of Pompey, Clarkie, you've picked them for your Acker selection. I have, yeah. And that sounds very bullish about Pompey this season. And yeah, he's right. He's right to be bullish, I think. Uh, they've got Shrewsbury at home in midweek. It's not been a brilliant start for the Shrews. And yeah, look, just look at the stats from that crew game. I think 15 shots to four, only faced one on target. Shrewsbury aren't creative. So you'd imagine set pieces are going to be their main threat. So if, if Portsmouth can sort of keep them at arm's length, play, you know, not give too many fouls away, I think they're going to have too much for Shrewsbury. So yeah, it's, it's not an imagined, 
imaginative selection, but Portsmouth to beat Shrewsbury, please. At least it's got some actual thought and weight behind it rather than just, I want Forrest to win because I support them. <laughs> <laughs> Better. Uh, Faye, you've also gone League One for your pick. Yeah, I have. I've gone for Oxford. I mean, similar. We've just talked about uh, Pompey crew. Crew didn't really offer too much, just four shots, as uh, as Adrian said. But yeah, a great win for them over Charlton on Saturday. And they're at home again um, against crew this week. So yeah, I, I'm, um, I, I think they played very well. So I'm going for Oxford. Uh, Abster, give us some Paddy Power deduced odds for those, please. Sure will, Matster. Both of the teams are odds on twins. So Oxford are three to four to beat Crew and Portsmouth eight to eleven to beat Shrewsbury. Incidentally, both away sides are seven to two to win their games. Draws coming in thirteen to five at the Cassam and fourteen to five at Fratton Park. All this means for our treble at the moment, we're looking at six to one. Good stuff. All right, League Two's our last stop. We'll be there soon. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the Totally Football League show from The Athletic. Keep up to date with everything Totally by following us at The Totally Show on Twitter. League Two headlines. Forest Green Rovers sponsored by Matt with Stevens and Jamil scoring the goals to defeat another Matt and win at Warsaw. Barrow leave Hartlepool all at sea. Lee and Goals gave the 17,000 at Bradford a great day out. And Swindon have signed Wales international Johnny Williams. What do you make of that, Sam? Uh, I'm excited, but... He's got to rediscover what he was doing a few years ago because flattered to deceive a bit at Charlton. Needs to start adding those numbers. But in League Two, he can't not be uh, not be happy with that signing because you know he comes with great pedigree. Bit of new money. I mean, he wouldn't have his wages wouldn't be mm. meager, would they, Sam? I mean, obviously, you know, spending a bit. Yeah, I did say that to my uh, one of my contacts down there. He wasn't privy to what type of dough they're they're shelling out, but that that was my first thought. But I just, again, yeah, he he's he's not been consistently great. I don't think for the last couple of seasons. So it's a it's a good club swing and it's really well report, um, really well supported. We know that, and um, the whole town is very much behind the new regime. So it's exciting times. Uh, in terms of Saturday's action in League Two, we'll start with Leighton Orient three X to nil. Adrian Kenny Jacket already leading the revolution. They call it jacket ball and you would think that he's got more than enough to, to negotiate or in a path to the playoffs at least in this division. Got a chance, haven't they? Yeah, it's been a decent start. I'm, I'm glad you brought up that jacket ball goal because that, that was one of my highlights of the weekend, actually. I thought it was a br- brilliant goal. You didn't see it all on Quest uh, on Saturday night, but it started with a goalkeeper. It's the sort of thing you see in the Premier League where the keeper plays it to the two centre-backs, they pass it out and it was one and two touch all the way up the pitch. I counted eight, only eight passes, seven different players. And it ended with, with Drinan, who scored the first goal, crossing for, for Archibald to score. And yeah, I just thought it was really sophisticated. And 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 the type of football that, that Leighton Orient fans must, must have really enjoyed. As 
The ball is played well by Kipriano into the path of Aaron Drennan. And Drennan finds Archibald, he finds the back of the net. Oh, what a move, what a goal. Leidnoyen's third, it's something special. It's Leidnoyen's three, Exeter City now. When I saw that, I thought, I thought of Pompey fans who, who always used to hammer Kenny Jacket for the style of play. And yeah, they, they must be ruined the fact that they never, didn't often see goals like that at Fratton Park. But yeah, it was, it was really good. And yeah, they've got some nice... Nice young players, I think. They've brought in a bit of experience this summer, but but got some exciting young youngsters that have got a bit of pace. Raul Sartorio's pretty quick and, and he's dynamic. I really like the pickup from from Hibbs actually, Tom James. Wigan fans, I think, will know all about him. He, he was on loan there last year and did really well. I think he scored an unbelievable goal in one of the games early on in the season. Um, he's a really talented player, and I think that that, that could be a coup for Leighton Orient moving forward. So, yeah, no, 3-0 against Exeter. They're not going to get spanked by three too often this season, you wouldn't have thought. So, so that's really positive. Of course, this fixture, known in certain places, specifically Sam's house, is the Sam Park in Derby. Uh, your other old club, Sam, the Grecians, they haven't managed so much as a goal yet. That suggests it's been a bit of a sticky start. Firstly, I'm taking credit for Leighton Orient start because I keep bumping into Joe Gallen, their assistant manager, um, where I live. So, and he's like, oh, tricky game tonight, tricky game today, and uh, absolutely <laughs> flying. So, when I saw him on Sunday morning, I was like, I'm oh, your lucky charm, pal. Um, you can only take credit if you're giving him tips or. Oh, I was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not that you just bumped into him randomly. <laughs> I was in the I was in the swimming pool just dunking my son. He was there with his daughter with her arm out. I was just like you know four two three one. I had the I had the uh, the nude noodles. I had the noodles all shaped out in the formation. You can get um, the unicorns out. They're good luck. Aren't they? Yeah, yeah, unicorns. Yeah, yeah. No, so obviously I was fortunate to see Orient last um, last Wednesday as well, and uh, they're they're playing some brilliant stuff and. And Drinnen could be the Paul Mullen of the season. There's a big shout for you. But he was excellent when I saw him and and, and just need that goal. And then you're, you're up and running. You got another one at, at the weekend. But I think extra problems in attack, obviously, not scored yet. Seymour, I think, uh, carried the, the burden of expectation at the weekend. But he's not a regular goal scorer. Patrick Amond has come in. He was on the bench. You'd expect him to notch goals after what he's done at, at Newport. And... The second half was a, a catalogue of um, of things happened really to, to Exeter. They missed a pen, they lost Sparks, uh, Atangana had an injury. So essentially they finished with, I think Matt Taylor said, nine and a half men. So not a good afternoon after they, they'd hoped to salvage something after an appalling first 45 minutes. But expect them to, things to look up, but I'm not maybe that convinced that this is going to be a promotion season for Exeter. Yeah. They've had some COVID cases to deal with as well. And yeah, I was interested to, to, to hear from Matt Taylor afterwards. He said that the EFL sort of suggested they take two coaches and that they, they have individual rooms at the hotel. And he said, look, can't afford it. There's no way we, we can do that. So they're, they're having to sort of soldier on. And I just, I just think it's a ridiculous fixture for them on Tuesday night. You know, they've been to Orient on a Saturday. They're not got to go to Barrow. On a Tuesday night, I mean, that, when 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 the people are making the the fixtures for the season, you, at that level, you, you shouldn't you shouldn't be asking teams to travel that length of uh, across the country for a midweek game. You know, how many fans are, are, are going to be able to make that that trip? It's uh, and for the players on the way home, 
get home and yeah, they get home the next morning. It's it's awful. So um, yeah, I, I think they've been stitched up there. Yeah, and Orient supporters, I'm sure, would like to go to that game because many of them will never have been to, to Barrow before. And if you're the sort of person who follows a League Two team away, you like ticking off new grounds um, on the list. Right, the last game that we are going to talk about is Bristol Rovers nil Stevenage 2. We'll give Stevenage the props shortly, but but I want to start on Rovers' fate. Eight defeats in a row, worst run in 60 years. Joey Barton's assistant, Clint Hill, has left his role citing personal family reasons. Uh, this was Joey's quote post-match. I've been reading a lot of Ernest Shackleton this week, trapped on the polar ice caps for two years. So look, we're nowhere near that level of rescue and salvage, <laughs> but we're scrapping away here to turn the tide around. Very good, Joey. You could read. We're all impressed with that. But really, should they not just sack him now? Because it's not worth the hassle if he's not getting results and they're on their worst run in 60 years and he's just lost his assistant. Where, where do they go from here? Oh, where did Bristol go from here? Don't know is is the answer, but they can't continue in this way at all. It's been embarrassing, really. And yeah, they've been booed off this season. How long are the fans going to put up with these kind of performances? I don't think for very much longer. They really need to do something about it because it's just not good enough. Uh, Stevenage then, Clarkie. I'm, I'm going to include this line which Abby's put in the uh, in the shared doc because I, I can almost feel her smile as she wrote it. Unlike a pack of rebels, you know what you're getting with Alex of Stevenage now. <laughs> very good, very good. It's one of the big appeals, isn't it, of rebels that, that you don't know? Not for uh, me, no. no. No, not when you've got a nut allergy either. I'm afraid yeah. it's uh, right, see, not good yeah. enough. Okay, but yeah, for me, it's a big, it's a big appeal. But no, you're right. What you're going to get from Stevenage under Alex Revel is a team that is really hard to beat. Simple as that. Just look at their last nine away fixtures of last season: one four, drew four, lost one. Yeah, I think they leaked ten goals in their last twelve games. They're solid, really, really solid. And um, yeah, knocked us work. out of the Carabao Cup yeah, as well. Yeah, they were they were impressive. Yeah, exactly. And mm. and and I love to see it because yeah, it's it's a former club of mine. Really enjoyed my time there, and it's great to see a young manager like Revel given the chance and and to put his own stamp on it. And and yeah, yeah, just really really impressed. I thought the second goal on the counter attack made really nicely by Reeves for, for Norris was quality. And Chris Lyons obviously rubbing it into Bristol Rovers at a time when when they were all feeling so low. Former Rovers player, of course, and yeah, he scored a lovely goal. So yeah, look, I, I saw this result come in. I, I, I fancy Stevenage here. You have to because Bristol Rovers have had four shots on target in three games. You know, that's shocking. Four shots on target in one game is okay. But in three games, it's yeah for a team that's pretty you know expensively assembled as well for League Two level. That and even though they've got players out, that's nowhere near good enough. So yeah, disaster for them. But yeah, Stevenage. I think Stevenage should be looking at absolutely a, a top half finish and possible playoffs. Two club records though for Bristol Rovers: four hundred and eighty-four minutes without a goal at home, eight straight defeats. So even in you know times of Strife. A couple of records. Joey's out here. Yeah. Troubling Norris McWhirter. Good stuff. <laughs> um, Sam, your pick for our Acker comes from League Two. Walsall Scunthorpe. He's not going to be a thriller. He's going to be <laughs> under 2.5 goals. 
Walsall got their first on Saturday last minute, I believe, and Scunny just a penalty to their name so far this season. And I think this, I don't think Walsall are going to be in trouble, but I think at this stage of the season, this becomes a big game because of their first three um, outings each. So very important. And I think one goal either way will win it. Speaking of Walsall, it's confusing having two managers called Matt Taylor in the um, in the same division, isn't it? So uh, it's got to be a Matthew, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Them yeah. Up. yeah. Come on, guys, help us out here. Abby, give us the uh, the odds for that and your backup pick in case of postponement, please. Yes, so for under 2.5 goals between Walsall and Scunthorpe, it is 13 to 20. Walsall are the uh, favourites to win it with 17 to 20 odds. Scunthorpe, 10 to 3. I will give you the ACA as it is. Um, so with those four options from all of you, we're coming in at 11 to 1 for that ACA. But we, we don't know what's going on with COVID. There may be a sudden downpour of rain. So we need to have a backup option so we don't get uh, undone immediately. So I'm plumping for Reading to beat Bristol City, 11. To 10. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. T's and C supply and when the fun stops, stop. Uh, just about done for today. Before we go, though, in honour of Posh's late match-winning double-downing derby, I want to know the late goals that have either stuck in the craw of our panel or left them dancing in delight. Adrian, you can go first. Yeah, I may have told this one before, but yeah, it's memorable because it was my first away game for Stevenage and we were at Forest Green, 2-0 down. It was all going horribly wrong, 2-0 uh, down with 15 minutes left. Um, we got one back, then I scored on 81 minutes to to make it 2-2 and then I set up the winner in injury time um, to win it 3-2. Um, and yeah, I just never forget Paul Fairclough waiting for us at the door of the dressing room, motioning how big our bollocks were. You <laughs> lot have nice. got enormous bollocks. I love it. I love it. So I'm so proud of you. Blah, blah, blah. And he just, you don't need me to, to motion, but you can imagine that what he was doing with it, with it, with it, with his hands, it would just crack me up because Paul Fairclough, he's got silver hair. He's not a youngster. And he's a former teacher, and it just made me laugh. <laughs> and uh, yeah, just one of those one of those wins that sticks in the mind. If anyone wants to set up a Twitter page of out of context, totally football league show, there's some absolute gold for you to mine uh, from Clarky there. Uh, Sam, <laughs> does yours involve you scoring a late winner or assisting one? Yeah, of course. Yeah, um, I was gonna, I was going to play I was going to play to the audience here, but um, there's been enough Luton Town mentions today, and my fine moments in a Luton shirt were quite sparse. So I'll go to um, to Swindon away at Wickham. Probably, yeah, probably one of my favourite games of my, of my career, 2-1 down. Um, and I got two and it was for the ingredients. It's last minute, five minutes into added on time when I got the winner. Pouring down with rain, mini pitch invasion, advertising hoarding, getting toppled over, Big pile on with the players and referee's whistle went as soon as we kicked off. So it was just, it was really special and one that me and my friends, uh, Johnny Jackson and his friends, whenever I see him, we always uh, talk, talk about that, that that afternoon, that Saturday afternoon. So yeah, great memory. Did you do an Uncle Albert and head, you know, just sort of, you know, once you emerge from the bundle, just sort of <laughs> go for a second one? No, but... 
we had like the heaviest, we had the worst kit in the world that year. I can't remember the maker, but Swindon fans to this day always tweet me and ask how horrific it must have been or how was it to, to wear it. And it was so heavy when it was wet. So there'd been just like a downpour all game. So I just remember us all trudging off, but it was it was an amazing feeling. And last minute winners, that oh, to take myself back to any any kind of moments, it was after that type of performance in the dressing room, you couldn't get a better place. Uh, Faye, time to crowbar in one last Luton reference. Oh, I'm going to have two after Sam's <laughs> reminded me of that 2008 winner um, equaliser against Leeds, which was phenomenal. Oh, so I'll yes. do it for you, Sam. <laughs> Instead, that yeah. must have been an amazing feeling. Anything scoring against Leeds is always great. <laughs> but yeah, that was that was absolutely cracking. But the one that always sticks in my mind, and I wasn't there, it was at Main Road, it was 1983, so I, I was still a baby. But Radiantic, the late great Radiantic, uh, scoring that late winner to relegate Manchester City and, and keep Luton Town up, and see those iconic moments of David Pleat skipping down the touchline. You know, you can still watch the footage; it still gives me goosebumps and always sticks in the memory of every single Luton fan. So I'm going for that one. Sorry, Sam. Yeah, one of the that, great that, football images. That that beats that tops everyone. Sorry, Clark. <laughs> <laughs> beats Paul Fairclough. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, you've all gone for, for winning late goals. Obviously, as a supporter of the two-time European champions, I don't have many of them to fall back on. So I'll take you back Are you going to be far. the negative person? We've all gone positive and you've gone negative. I mean, 25 years worth of evidence will do that to you, say, is all <laughs> I can say to that. Uh, I'm not going back that far, though. July 2020, you'll all remember this. Forest won, Stoke 4, final game of the season. All we needed to do was not lose 4-1 to get into the playoffs. <laughs> Up steps Forest striker Nuno da Costa, in the 90th minute to score an own goal to mean that Forrest didn't get into the playoffs. Uh, Nuno da Costa's Forrest record, again to underline, he's a striker. 14 appearances, no goals, one own goal. Thanks a lot, Nuno. Um, we could always have had that. We could also have had Kyle McFadden on the opening weekend as well. Anyway, we won't. Uh, we're back on Thursday, looking ahead to the weekend's action and talking through all the big news and notes from the midweek matches. Until then, from Sam, Faye, Adrian, Abby and me, thanks for joining us today. We'll see you Thursday. You've been listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and keep up to date with everything Totally by heading to at the Totally Show on Twitter and on Insta. Find out the latest subscription offers by going to theathletic.com forward slash league show. The Totally Football League Show is an athletic media company production. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. 
Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. 